this morning. Romans 15. Uh, and I want to look at verse number 4. And, uh, and I know it says 3 on everything, and it's not, because that's a, that is an oper- er- operator error. So Re- Romans 15, verse number 4. And what we're going to do this morning is really for the month of August, I debated on doing some things about the gap theory and everything, and we're going to do that probably in September after I come back from the Grand Canyon trip and stuff, and then we'll get into that and so forth, kind of get it, let everybody kind of get back off of, the, off of being gone for the summer. But what I want to look at us with you this week, or in the next three or four or five weeks or whatever, is the Gospels and us. It's a very interesting thing to me as I was studying the gap information and the gap theory and the, actually there are other gaps within scripture and was looking into them how often the apostle Paul makes a reference to the Old Testament and he does so in a and, and in his the way he does it and I'll show you a couple verses here as we uh, a verse anyway and at the way, he does it in assuming that you understand the Old Testament and that you have a working knowledge of it and it's very fascinating, Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. You see that issue about it written aforetime for our learning, not our obedience, but our learning. There's some things, several years ago we did a series over the summer of Paul in the Old Testament, and we started in Romans 1, and we kind of worked through I think we got about through Corinthians and how often Paul will use Abraham, like in Romans 4. He'll talk about David, Romans 4. He'll come over and he'll talk about the Genesis and Abel and all and different things. And he uses different people as a drawback for us to see. When he says there at the end of verse 4 that through the, through the comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope, when you and I look back at the Old Testament and we see what God has accomplished in His people, the nation of Israel, that should bring great hope for you and I to know that what He promised us He will one day conclude out and fulfill just as he did with and will do with the nation of Israel. It's very interesting when you get into the Old Testament, he'll say, okay, think about Moses. Moses, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to go deliver them. But before you deliver Israel out of Egypt, I've got this I'm going to do. And there's a delay tactic that is introduced into Israel's history and Israel's thinking. And the, by the way, the delay were the ten plagues on the ten gods of Egypt of the world, and he showed his power over them that there is none other God but him. He is God. He's it. But when you come into you and I today, uh, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, and again, I, I want to get into the Gospels and, and a little introduction, so I don't want to run all of the verses that Paul does this, but if you look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, and, and just notice something here in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Just notice how Paul, the language here, he says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see how Paul just, not not, not just, eh, he just, but he makes a statement 
about as God, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, instantly, I know everybody in the room thought of Genesis 1-3, right? I hope you did, because that's where Paul's referencing. So he is, come back to Genesis 1, just so you see it. He is making an ill. By the way, the context of 2 Corinthians 4 there, verse 6 is, verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus Christ, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. So that the context is about the gospel, but it's, a, it's actually really more about the God of this world doing what? Keeping the blindness going. So when you go back to Genesis 1, verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, the darkness and the light here are not the sun, the moon, and the plant, the planets. Those actually get uh, created down on day four, okay? So the light here and the darkness, well, it goes back to verse two, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. There's darkness here. Darkness is the absence of light. So what happened? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He's there. There's light. There's, he, light has dispelled the darkness. And then between 1.1 and 1.2, the adversary falls. Lucifer falls. Okay? And when Lucifer falls, darkness is introduced into the equation. And the Lord judges, the, judges creation at the moment the heaven and the earth, and he judges it with darkness, the absence of order, spiritual darkness, the darkness that could be felt, the darkness that comes in when the Lord is hanging on the cross in those three hours there when the sun is blacked out, but yet there's a darkness there, a spiritual darkness, Paul, for you and I. And when that happens, what happens? The God of this world has what? Blinded the minds of the law. And what you see in between 1-1 and 1-2 is the introduction of, the ad, of Lucifer falling and Satan and the adversarial attack of, I will be like the Most High, and the introduction of a new wis another wisdom plan on board. And we're not here to talk about all that, but come back to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 4. My point is, is the way Paul talks. For, verse 6, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He draws you instantly back in your mind, in your thinking. You need to know all about Genesis 1, 3 at least, but especially 1, 1, 1, 2. Because there's a reference made here about the darkness back there. Well, how would that come? It comes through the fall of the adversary who introduces rebellion into the creation. See, Now come over to 1 Corinthians 15. So as we kind of begin looking at the Gospels this morning and their relationship with us and our interaction with it, and, and again, we've studied Matthew, we're studying Mark, we've studied Luke, we're doing it again on Sunday nights now for the YouTube channel, and we've studied John in depth, verse by verse, okay, and you can go get those on the YouTube if you're interested or join us 
as we're doing these things. And, and I think and I believe wholeheartedly that you need to understand the Gospels. But you need to understand them where they sit and to whom they're written to and they're talking to. And they're not to you and I, but we need to. Why? Because Paul's going to make a reference. Look at 15, 3, and 4. It helps if I'm there, right? 15.3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you know that His death, burial, and resurrection is not a mystery? It's not a secret? It's been prophesied and talked about since Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham, becomes the seed of Isaac, becomes the seed of Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 boys, and out of the 12 boys, here comes Judah. Actually, it's Jesse, the house Judah. And then, well, Judah's the largest tribe. So now which family in Judah? And now it becomes Jesse, and it's Jesse's boy, David, that's going to be the king. And then through David, here comes Joseph, the Lord's stepfather, and then here comes Mary, the Lord's mother, and here comes the Lord. And who is he, Matthew 1.1? He's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham, see? And what happens is, is you need to understand that. Why? Because Paul just told you and I something very interesting in verse 3. Notice what he just says. Now, by the way, he says, "How that For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. So there's a mystery revelation, a progressive revelation, a secret element to the Calvary event that was never made known, that was kept hid, chapter 2, and now is revealed, and so forth. It was kept hid so that the Satan and the adversary and the course of the world would do what they're doing. Now, I know I'm talking about a lot, but just follow the train of thought here. But notice what he says, how that Christ died. How do you know how that Christ died? For your sins. How did he die? The only way you know it is to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul doesn't tell you that he was beat and scourged and had his beard plucked and had his hands driven with nails and a crown of thorns placed on him. Paul doesn't tell you about him standing before the chief priests and the elders in an illegal, illegitimate trial at night. He doesn't tell you that he went before Pilate and Pilate three times said he's an innocent man and yet still okayed the, the crucifixion. Paul doesn't say any of that. Paul says how that Christ died. So what do I need? I need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to do what? To understand how he died. Not the outcome, not how it's applied to you and I today in the age of grace, but the events of it. There's a book, it's in my cart on my Amazon, on the day that Jesus died. Larry was telling me about it. And uh, I just didn't, I forgot actually the other day to hit the send, uh, the, the buy. <laughs> but I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, why? Because there are events that happen. And you and I need to be very familiar with that. And we need to understand that. Why? Because our apostle just said that. He's like, look, you and I, we, out of all the peoples out there, that are believers that follow Christianity and, and so forth in their, in their thought process, we ought to know and understand each of those events deeper and better than any. We ought to know about the seven sayings on the cross. What he said, why he said, how he said them. Why did he say, what's going on, why, and where do we get, we get that from the scriptures. So when you talk about the gospels, there are four of them. Isn't that wonderful? 
Four, the number of earth, the number, I mean, just the number of creation. Four. Each of the Gospels is going to talk about the same individual, the wonderful Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah. Each one of them is going to contribute a unique aspect to the life of Christ. Yet, they are just really one story, but from different perspectives. Come back with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. In our Bible study down in the Tucson area, we just went through some of this uh, the other night, and uh, this was what kind of got me thinking about doing this, but also for you and I. If you look at Isaiah 11, when you come to the Old Testament, which, by the way, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, are on Old Testament ground. How you know that is Hebrews 9 says that the death of the testator is what starts a New Testament. So at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the Christ is crucified and resurrected, now that's New Testament ground. So New Testament ground really starts like Luke 15, I'm sorry, Mark 15, all the way to Acts 7 and 8. That's New Testament ground. Why? Because in Acts 9, he interrupted that. You and I are not New Testament saints. I'm sorry. We're church, the body of Christ saints. We're something different. We're a new creature. We're a new humanity. We're a new species of humanity. We're not that. That's them. That's Israel. We're something new. In Isaiah 11, in verse 1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. When you look back into the Old Testament, you begin to see fours showing up. We've got four branch statements. We have four, so we're going to have branch For behold statements we're going to look at this morning, okay? By the way, you have four carpenter statements. You have four, fours, 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 fours. This is un, uh, you have, well, there's five cherub, but there's four cherub that we're going to look at. The fifth cherub that covered it, we'll talk about him down in a couple weeks. You've got seraphim, you've got this four everywhere. So when you begin to look at the Gospels, but you begin to understand that there is a need for there to only be four. Now, if God wanted there to be one, because every scholar you ever think about has tried to take all four Gospels and harmonize them, sync, sync them up, synopsis, and you can't do it because they're designed to take four pictures, prophetic portraits, different angles, same individual, same guy, same man, same God, but at four different viewpoints. And it's critical to catch that. It's critical to see it. It's critical to understand that. Come over with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. And again, this, your reference list will help you to, as we go here quickly with the half hour to go. 23 verse 5. Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, that I will rise unto David a righteous branch and a what? And a king shall come forth. A king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and righteous 
I'm sorry, judgment and, uh, judgment and justice in the earth. So we're going to have a what? We're going to have a king sitting on David's throne, a, 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 a branch here that's moving forward. Come over to Zechariah. I'm, uh, yeah, Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. We're just talking about branches, okay? By the way, we got Matthew. We're going to do Mark. And we're going to do Luke. And then we're going to do John, okay? Zechariah 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou said, and thy fellows that sit before thee. And they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, who? The branch. By the way, branch, that's a title. There are five titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ in the prophetic picture of, the, of what he's going to accomplish under the Davidic covenant. He's going to be their redeemer. He's going to be their deliverer, their avenger. Because if you deliver somebody but you don't wipe out the enemy, the enemy can do what? Regroup, come back. So he's going to avenge them, wipe them out. So redeemer, deliverer, avenger, king, blesser. Those are the five books of the Psalms, book of Psalms, made up in five sub, and he lays them out. Why? That's the five mandate of the Davidic covenant given to the king. This is what you're going to do, given to the Messiah. You're in Zechariah. Look over at chapter 6, chapter 6 of Zechariah, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. So there's the man. Come on over to uh, Isaiah. Hold on to Zechariah. You can stick something there because we're going to be right back to it. Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah 4 and verse number 2. Isaiah 4 and verse number 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. See the branch of the Lord, Jehovah, God. Who is he? He's God. But there's the branch. Now come back to Zechariah chapter 9. So we've got four branch titles that describe the character and the essence of who the Messiah is in the prophetic portrait, the foreview. Here's what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to have a title of the branch, and he's going to be king, servant, man, and God. That's who he is. Here's his character. But we also have four behold statements. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And Matthew chapter 21 says that that right there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are we beholding? We're beholding the king. So Matthew is going to depict the Lord Jesus Christ as who? King of Israel. The king of kings, that's who he is. He's going to have a royal decree. Come back to, hold on to Zechariah. Come back to Isaiah and chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold, 
my servant. Isn't that interesting? Whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And then you have the crier in the wilderness, and who do you have? There's John the Baptist. But what is the Lord? He's going to be the servant. What does Mark do? Mark depicts him as servant. Come back to Zechariah chapter 6. We just read this, but I'm going to emphasize it the other way now. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the who? The man. Mark, servant, Luke, will picture him in his humanity. The man. Here he is. Dr. Luke, by the way. What's the doctor worried about? Man. And what's going on? Now, Isaiah 40, you can let Zechariah go. Isaiah 40, Isaiah chapter 40, and verse number 9. Isaiah 40, by the way, Isaiah, well, I'm in Jeremiah. No wonder it doesn't look right. You know how things ought to look? Isaiah 40, the 40th book in your Bible is the book of Matthew. Isaiah's got 66 books. You take a book, line it up with its corresponding chapter, and what you learn in, in Isaiah up till you get to Paul's epistles with Romans. So from Isaiah 1 through um, 45, because the 45th book is Romans, is you see what each of those books are talking about. You got Isaiah 40? Look there at, Isaiah, at chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, verse 1, okay, verse two, 3, the ox knoweth his owner, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider a sinful nation. Verse 5, why would ye be stricken anymore? The whole head is sick. Verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. You know, where do you find Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis? That's where you find, and you just line that right up until you get to Paul in the 45th chapter, and then you don't get the line up with Romans because Romans is a mystery. It's kept secret, but you know what you begin to get? You begin to get the sense and the tone of Romans, which is grace, see, and you can lay that out. Now, Isaiah 40, we'll study Isaiah one day if the Lord tarries. If he doesn't, then we'll go and we'll know it, right? Isaiah 40, look, if you will, at verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Again, Matthew, by the way, if you look back there in verse 1, Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord a hand double of all her sins. In other words, here comes the fifth course of judgment. It's been on you. It's been on you since Nebuchadnezzar, Nehemiah 2. It's been on you all along. And you know what? It's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. But guess who's coming? The Comforter is coming. The first one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, the, ver- the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway. Ha- a ha- a ha- 
a highway for our God. Every You know who's coming? John the Baptist is coming, and who's he announcing? The Messiah is here. Where's your comfort going to be, Israel? It isn't out there in the Gentiles. You're under persecution. You're under Leviticus 26, the five courses, and you're in trouble. You need comfort, and here comes the comforter, the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah. That's why in John, when he says, when I go to the Father, the Father will send another comforter. We always say he sends the comforter. No, the first comforter was Messiah. The next comforter is the Holy Spirit. You've got to pay attention to the little words in there. But look at verse 9. O Zion, thou bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up the voice, which strengthen, lift it up. Be not afraid, say unto the cities of Jeho Judah, behold your God. Isn't that interesting? We have a fourfold picture prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what is coming? Here, now come over to Ezekiel chapter 1. And we have this wonderful picture of who Messiah is, his character, the, the prophetic view. And when you begin to lay them all out, here it is in Scripture. Here's why there are four Gospels, not five, not one, not a hundred. None of them are lost. They're all right here in the canon of Scripture because the prophet said, this is the picture that he's going to develop out for you. And as king, servant, man, and who he is, God, the God-man, Ezekiel 1, as you see that, that's going to match some things in the throne room of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 1, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 1. Look, if you will, here. At, at just, just notice something here. You've got Ezekiel, verse 2. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel. He's by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. Verse 4, and I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, by the way, that's where judgment comes from when the Lord returns in his second coming. He comes out of the north. A great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber and out of the midst of the fire also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. So here's a man-looking dude. You know what? By the way, a likeness of man. He stood on two feet. He's not down on all fours like an animal. Okay? So here we're going to have something happen here. Okay? And, but we're by the river Chabar, and the guy's got four faces. Verse 10. Verse 10. And the, as for the likenesses of their faces... The four had the face of a man, the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four also had the face of an eagle. So what do we have? We have a lion, king of the jungle. We have an ox, the worker, the worker beast in the field. We have a man, and then we have an eagle soaring in the heavens I bear you up on eagle's wings. I'm God. Here as I am, the most majestic of the, of the creatures of all, the bald eagle, the gold, you know, all of that. And you begin to have this look here, and you see these guys. Now, come over to chapter uh, 10. We'll run to 10. Chapter. By the way, are you still in 1? Look at 128. Ezekiel 128. As the appearance of the bow... 
That's a rainbow. That isn't a cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the what? The glory of the Lord. The glory. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake, and off we go. Chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Ezekiel. Got to put this stuff together, folks. It's a wonderful picture being painted here. Chapter 10 and verse 15. And the cherubs were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river Chabar. So the guy, the, the creature he sees in chapter 1, verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, what are they? They're cherubs. And what do they have? They've got the likeness of, they've got their wings. Remember, they got four faces, they got four wings. They stand on two feet like a man. What do they got? Lion is one face, ox is another, man and eagle. You, okay? What are we picturing out? King, servant, man, God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See. But what I want you to see is what the cherubs are all about. Now, there's a fifth cherub that cover it. That's going to be Lucifer. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks. So don't think I didn't remember. Come over to chapter, go back there, uh, chapter 9. Remember, we just read chapter 1, verse 28. What are they interested in? The glory. The cherubs in the angelic realm, there's only five of them. One fell, the one that covered. By the way, guess who we replace, just FYI? The fallen cherub, the one that covereth. And I'll show you that when we get there, okay? Keep you in suspense till late August. Keep you coming back. The four of them, they're around the throne room of God. That's what that description is in chapter 1. Their job is the protection of the glory of the Lord, of the glory of the Godhead, if I can say it that way. Look at chapter 9. By the way, what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? You remember? Cherubs. Where did, where did God meet Israel once a year to take care of everything? In the cherubs, between the cherubs. Look at verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was in, to the threshold of the house. He called to the man clothed with linen, which had the winter's inkhorn by his side, and the Lord said unto him, and off they go. All right? So we're in the house. We're in the house of the Lord. Down in verse number 6 there, and, and be, be, uh, the middle of that verse, and begin at my sanctuary. So the house here is the temple. It's the tabernacle. It's where they're meeting God. And what's the cherub doing? What's the glory of the Lord doing? It's moving, isn't it? It's left. Chapter 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the cherub's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaketh. What's happening? Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherub, and the cherubs lifted up their wings and mounted up upon the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels also were behind them, and every one stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was over them above. It's moving, and who's moving it? The cherubs are moving it. Why? Because iniquity is found in Israel. They are not his people. They're Ichabod. They're not. He's written them a bill of divorcement. You're not my people. And the cherubs are like, well, well dude, let's go. We're out of here. And it's moving. Come over to chapter 11. 1122. 
Then did the cherubs lift up their wings and the wheels beside, by the way, the wheels beside them, the wheels in the sky, you know, the journey song or whoever, foreign or whoever sang that song. Where do you think they got that stuff from? Right here, see. You want to see your aliens today and the nonsense you're hearing about the stupidity around aliens? It's coming right off of these pages right here. Because where are we at? We're wheels in the sky. And, ooh, what's that? Ooh, it's got to be aliens. No. Listen, folks, if you believe that there are aliens, you have no business believing in the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible did not make aliens. Aliens is a figment of of man's imaginations to get you to cause you to question the Word of God. That's all they are. They were made up on the drawing board of Hollywood back in the day. I'm sorry. I'm off the alien thing. 11, 12, oh, but Rick, I saw it. No, you didn't. You drank too much that night. Sorry. You ate a bad pizza. Anything else? And by the way, if you believe in aliens, we can talk about it. I don't care, but I'm not going to get drawn into the conspiracy of it. You just got to think about it realistically, okay? But if there are any aliens, it's you and I, the church, the body of Christ, because we're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And we're the oddball. Remember Queen's song, uh, Princes of the Universe? Do you know who the real princes of the universe are? You and I, the body of Christ. Not somebody over here. You and I are. But yet, what is the, what is the God of this world doing? He's doing what he did with Eve and says you can be. Anyway, I knew I was going to do that when I read the wheels in the sky. Verse 22, then did the cherubs lift up their wings and the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. It's moved, it moved out of the temple, it moved up out of the city, and now it's sitting on Mount Olives, east of Jerusalem. Now come over to chapter 43, and we got to move on, otherwise I'll be the one wheeling in the sky. <laughs> chapter 43, chapter 43. And the first four verses. The reason I'm showing you this is because of this connection here. Why there are four Gospels? And who are the Gospels about? Ezekiel uh, 43, verse 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward which way? The east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the vision were like the vision that I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. Do you know who comes from the east? The Lord Jesus Christ does in his second coming. He comes out. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Sea of Ga- Dead Sea, sea of Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem. What's east of Jerusalem? The Mountain of Olives. What's out there is where everybody in Israel's history has crossed the, over Jordan River. He comes out of the north. He comes down here, burns them up, comes on that highway of God down here. He comes in the way that Moses takes the nation of Israel. There's a reason that in the Exodus, when they're wandering in the wilderness, they do what they're doing. He's showing you the route. He comes up. He crosses that Jordan River. 
right where Joshua was, right where Joseph is, right where the stones are, right where that Ark of the Covenant went over when they went into the land. And when he comes across there, what's that verse say in 43? Here comes the glory of God. Who is he talking about? Some big cloud, bright cloud. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. Comfort ye, comfort ye. Here it is. It's time to set this right. And for the very first time, he sets his foot down on planet Earth and his second coming, and it's on that Mount of Olives. And when that mount there, then it splits the earth open, and the waters from the Red Sea run, um, the Mediterranean Sea, and it begins to, the rose is now blooming in the desert. Second coming, millennial kingdom. You see, Ezekiel says, these four guys here, their job's to protect the glory. Woo. Now come over to Revelations 4. Now you got to think about this stuff. It's all, and you know what Paul says? You need to know about this stuff. You don't need to know every little detail. And it doesn't need to drive your life. It's for our learning. Not our obedience. As much time as you spend in the Old Testament, you better be spending 10 more times in Romans to Philemon. So for every hour, you need 10 hours in Paul, if you would do that. Why? Because Paul's our obedience. This is just to see the wonderful magnitude of what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit's going to do. Because if he's going to do this for them, what's he going to do for you and I? He's going to rapture us. He's going to resurrect us. He's going to sit us in heavenly places. He's going to do what he says he can do. Why? Because look at what he just did for Israel. He sends his son back, fulfilling every prophetic viewpoint. You got Revelation 4. I told myself, don't get worked up, but it's just, just can't help it. Now we're in the throne room. John's pulled up into the throne room. Verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a beast of a lion. All right, so now we're going to have some guys over here. And there's four of them. The first one looks like a lion. The second beast, like a calf. Okay? The third beast, the face of a man. And the fourth beast is what? An eagle. Now, this is in the throne room. But look at verse 7, verse 8. And the fourth four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within and the rest of the day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. These are not cherubims. They're, some, they're seraphims. Come back to Isaiah 6. What are they saying in verse 8? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Which Don't leave Revelation 4. Just give me a second here. These four beasts are four individuals. Each cherub has these with four wings. The seraphim, one's this way with six, one six, one six. All right? So the only winged, winged, angelic being are cherubims and seraphim. That's it. If you see a winged angel, first of all, you don't know what you're looking at. You better really go to the doctor because you're hallucinating. The only winged angel is found actually there in Ezekiel, and, and she carries the title of wicked. So when you look at out there in the world, an angel's got all wings on, what are they? They're wickedness, because they're not what's depicted in Scripture. Now, come back there to Isaiah 6, just so you see this, so you understand we're talking about seraphims. 
Isaiah 6. And the key to it, honestly, and, and I'll be honest with you, I used to teach that these guys in Revelation 6 were cherubs and so forth until I noticed verse 8, and what are they saying? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and, it's, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And cried one unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and off you go. The seraphim are designed to support and to protect the holiness of the Godhead. The cherubims covering the glory, seraphims cover the holiness. Now, come back to Matthew. You may say, what is the, the Lord, what does the Godhead need help protecting? It isn't protecting, it's promoting. What did that a cherub that anoint he, Ezekiel 28, Satan and all that? Leading all of creation and the glory and the honor and the worshiping of the Godhead. Matthew chapter 1. So, Matthew says, here's the king. What do we want to know about the king? What does everybody want to know about a king? What did the king say? So Matthew, 28 chapters, longest book of them, beats Luke by two, and it's all about the declarations of the king. Here's what the king says. Here's what the Lord says. Mark, what do we want to know about the servant? What do we want to know? Can they work? So here's what the Lord did. Here's what he does. Did, do, does. Okay? Here's, can he work? Can he get the job done as Messiah? By the way, the answer is yes. Luke, the man. What do we want to know about man? What's the question you always ask each other when you first see each other? How are you doing? We want to know what the Lord, how the Lord feels. How did he feel about this? How he felt? What did he, when he, it's Luke that we read where Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's Luke where we read that he bled drops of blood in the garden in prayer. It's Luke that comes along and it's about what he feels. Now, G, John, he's going to depict him as who he is, God. And you know what God said? I am fill in the blank. I'm God. What do you need? How can I help you? You with me? Think about Matthew. Matthew 1. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 6. And Jesus begat David, the what? The king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, we're not going to talk about all that because we don't have the time today. We will next week start in it. But think about this. What do we need to know about a king? We need to know the genealogy. We need to know the bloodline, don't we? How in the world do we pick Harry over William? Did we? No. It was what? William over Harry. Why? Which one was first? See? How do, we have a genealogy. Mark, we got a gen, Matthew, we got a genealogy of the king. Why? We need to know. How about a servant? Do we care where the servant came from? No. 
There's no genealogy in Mark. Why? We could care less with a servant. What are we wanting to know about the servant? Can he work? Can he get the job done? What about Luke? He depicts him as man. Well, we have a genealogy. Why? Because he's got to prove out to be kinsman redeemer. So we have Mary's genealogy in Luke 3. Very interesting. What about John? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hey, God, God's, He exists everlasting to everlasting. There's no genealogy in John. Why? Because God's always been. You see, that's why you can't harmonize genealogy in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? The different pictures. We need it, we don't. We need it, we don't. Now we're confused. You, you see what's going on here? You've got to leave it right where it belongs. Matthew, he's the king. He's the rightful ruler, rightful king of the universe. He's just on exile in Israel's program, by the way, on our program today. Now, I'm, we're going to take the last five minutes, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise and I don't get distracted. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and watch Paul pick up on some of this, on this four. While Paul isn't going to present him as king, servant, man, and God, he does pick up on the attributes of it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Who sends out ambassadors? The king does. Okay? He needs to be represented even in the new program today. So what does he do? He sends out. 1 Timothy 6.15, he calls him king of king and lord of lords. In his times, he'll be known that way, potentate. Boy, I just butchered that verse, didn't I? Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and the only potentate, the king of king and lord of lords. So Paul doesn't dismiss him as king. He says, we're just his ambassadors because he's doing something new today. See, Come on over to... Uh, Philippians 2, Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And what, what is he? He's the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. See? What is he? He's a for, he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Isn't that fascinating? Paul just picks right up on those connotations. Servant, man. He just picks right up on it. He doesn't say, boo. He doesn't say, no, he's not man anymore. He just says, no, the mediator between God and men now is who? The man, Christ Jesus. Why? Because he humbled himself. He took on the form and the likeness, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Come over to, you're in Philippians, Colossians 2, because you're just right here. Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. And you can go look at Romans 8 if you like, but Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Again, Romans 8 there Verse 31 and 32, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that delivered not his own son, 
but I'm sorry, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Why? Because he's God. So Paul doesn't, he doesn't get away from the four-point picture. He just does it what? This is who you are now. You're his ambassador. Why? Because the king still needs you. He's the servant. Why? Because look at what he did. He came and he did and performed. Look at, he's man. He's the man Christ Jesus. He's the mediator now between. So even while back here in, their old, in, the, in the Gospels, the Gentiles could come and they had to come through Israel and so forth. Now we go through the man Christ Jesus and Israel is out of the picture. And don't you ever forget that he's the Godhead bodily. He's the one. Okay? So as we begin, what the plan is, is to look at each of the Gospels. Next week will be Matthew, then guess what? The next week will be Mark, and then Luke, and then John, okay? And we'll look at some, just some of the things there, but what I need you to, I want you to catch is that fourfold picture, the branch statements, the behold statements, and then even within the angelic realm, we have things that match. And before you get all hissy fit about, it doesn't say ox, it says calf, well, another verse calls the ox, the calf, a cherub. What are they? Servants. What's a calf? It's just a baby servant, a, ba a servant in training. What does the cherub do? The cherub lifts the glory and moves it. It's a servant. It's a worker. So before you have a hissy fit all over me, just know what's happening here, okay? The point is, is why is there four? Because the prophet said there's going to be a fourfold picture coming. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John match those four up at every turn. There's no genealogy. There's no birth scenes. Mark, Mark's so wonderful. The, the, the word in Mark is and, 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 and immediately. Then he's, you know there's only two verses in Mark that deal with the temptation of Christ? Just two verses. Matthew, there's a whole, chat, whole section. Luke, a whole section. John, no verses about the temptation. Why? You don't tempt God. It's fantastic. We'll look at all that, okay? I get to preach in the next three weeks. <laughs> all right? And it's time to quit, okay? So the gospel's in us. We'll have a good time over the next coming weeks to look at this, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture within prophets, prophecy, within your word about your son and about who he is, what he's going to accomplish for the nation of Israel, and then for us as well, the church, the body. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be.